Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Welcome to episode 52 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host, as always, Edward Jones. And joining me, of course, is my co-host, Mrs. the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, hello, hello. On tonight's episode, we make up for what seems to have been a rather big oversight in our part, and then finally look at a Johnny Toe movie as we check out Election from 2005. Uh, but before we obviously get into that, it's uh, time to obviously ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, since the last episode... Uh, just to pull back the curtains, like we've had a little bit of a break just due to how our schedule, recording schedule worked out. And uh, how have you been sort of enjoying your time off and what you've been watching? Well, I've actually not watched anything, I don't think, with an Asian cinema bent. You're right, it's been a... <laughs> we were, you know, again, Wizard of Oz time. We were recording, weren't we? Like pretty much every weekend um, for a little yeah. while there. And and I was on top of it all then, wasn't I? I said, oh, I've watched this and I've watched that. And I was just thinking the last three weeks or so, I don't think I've watched anything that would be of interest specifically to this community. What I have been doing is, is watching a lot of documentaries. Um, I'm sort of preparing for season two of my uh, little spin-off show um after talking about world cinema i'm, I'm thinking about doing a, a short series on on documentaries and documentary makers um so i've been doing a, a lot of that um nothing as yet asian based but lots of lot of sort of yeah. british documentarians and uh, I'll let you know more when I've um, got round to sorting that out. But in this heat, mate, again, spoilers. <laughs> so I'm st- I'm struggling to concentrate on anything. <laughs> this alter- this uh, st- secondary show, Stevens, of course, being Guido Ramblings. If you've uh, not added it to your rotation already, um, absolutely. Yes, why not? <laughs> so I'm guessing when you say British documentarians, we're talking about Nick Broomfield. Um, Nick Broomfield as a starter. Um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in Louis Theroux. Um, obviously, yeah. most most of his work's been in, in TV. And then that, that leads us on to some other people that are related. So not, not British, but Michael Moore obviously has a connection with Louis Theroux. So I'm trying yeah. to sort of see if I can get a... And, 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 and then others. I'm trying to see if I can sort of have a six to ten episode, episodes which... Um, bring some documentarians both well known and not well known together but I'm trying to the, the struggle is trying to create a link to make the make the shows kind of interesting um, moving back and forth in time but uh, definitely starting with Broomfield as um, I'm a, I'm a long time fan of his and uh, picked up a really cheap box set on Amazon the other day and I've been uh, watching a lot of his older stuff it's so unique is his old stuff because there's no narration it's just you just play the observer like it is like with Soji his um, that. yeah absolutely with his um <laughs> with his sound because he does the sound recording he's got he's got he's got a lady he works with who who pretty much did most of his early camera work they sort of they studied together um at, at film school and they, and they went off and did things but he's got but as as his films sort of go on he becomes more and more part of it um 
you know you see him grow in confidence um, yeah i watched what's the one i watched the other day about chasing maggie we sort of trying to chase down get an interview with margaret thatcher specifically to talk about her, her corrupt son and and it and and documentary basically becomes about him, and and his journey rather than anything else. And then of course there there is a he has actually made a film um called Ghosts, which is about we made a couple of films, but Ghosts in particular, which was about the sort of the Chinese immigrants who died in was it Somerset Devon, um the cockle the cockle pickers if that's yeah the they got uh, they got caught in the incoming tide and mm. uh, unfortunately drowned. Um, I, I've saw that a long time ago when it, yeah. when it came out but i've not actually returned to it since and i think it's one of those films that's worth revisiting because it's all it's all been pretty much forgotten with i think when you said broomfield you people would just think of his work as a documentary filmmaker especially with things like you know Kurt and courtney and heidi mm. flass and um oh i made whitney houston houston one recently although that that's much more of a traditional sort of found footage one he, he's not part of that but ghost i think is interesting because obviously it's got the asian the asian sort of connection for us but he he made it with amateurs and it's kind of uh it it, it is a documentary in the way sort of that 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 sort of reconstruction documentary sort of that that, that, that netflix likes to do you know that um it's kind of re recreating historical events and it's a very touching hard-hitting film um but i always wonder is it Asia? It's about Asians starring Asians, um, but very, very, very much set it set in Britain by someone who's very British. So I, I always wonder if it's um, the place for this. This this is the place for a film like that. But yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of his. Um, I I and, and then um, obviously Theroux, who, whose work has mostly been in television, but he used to work for Michael Moore. And Michael Moore is a documentary maker. I have a terrible terribly difficult time with because whereas you say Broomfield is is sort of on the periphery of his films um on the whole more more and more becomes the subject almost of his films and he's a little um he's more interested in creating polemics rather than documentaries about things and, and and they're not sometimes that far off some of those uh Sort of conspiracy videos you watch mm-hmm. on YouTube sometimes, but he's an interesting character nonetheless, um, and, and important. Um, you know, he's one of the most powerful people in in film, frankly. Um, so, yeah, that, that that that's where the thoughts are going at the moment. Obviously, you talk about Alex Gibney, people like that, but it, it's I, I really wanted to sort of start in Britain and, and work my way out, and and hopefully find some um, find some people in, from some other languages. So yeah, watch this space. Hopefully, in the next couple of months, I'll um, I'll have kicked that off. But I bet you've watched something, right? Of course, yes. I've. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like because normally it's all like oh, I haven't really had a chance to watch uh, much, and you normally got this huge shopping list of things you watched. And at least in the break, I was like, I'm gonna like watch a few things, so I've got something to talk about when we come back off the break. And many um, for myself, a lot of anime since the break so i finished off the first season of one punch man on netflix uh one punch man is sort of like one of the current popular anime titles at the moment um and it's about uh uh say saitama who's uh, basically a superhero but he's so insanely overpowered he can defeat any opponent with one punch and uh as a result of which he's basically sort of stumbles into every situation and is almost surprised that he w- walks out the victor. 
and it's almost it's almost kind of like by accident that he wins every situation but it's a really fun sort of uh take on like the superhero sort of format the fact that he's this super overpowered uh to a superhero and the fact he has to deal with the egos of all these other superheroes that are in the the league and he has to play the political game as well so that he gets recognized as being a superhero even though he's like clearly this overpowered uh this being but it's uh fun to see me encounter a different villain in each episode and said villain turns into like that ultimate form only to be then defeated by this one punch uh that he delivers really fun series it's as I say, it's only 12 episodes long and uh so you can you can rattle that first season off uh, pretty easy. And, uh, yeah, I think because of that, it sort of paved the way into me starting Dragon Ball Z Super, uh, which is the latest incarnation of the Dragon Ball series. And, no, I have not finished the original Dragon Ball Z because it's something like 257 episodes long, and I've not had the time to sit down and watch it all. But um, it doesn't really matter if you have or you haven't. Uh, you can still enjoy Dragon Ball uh, Z Super. And it's kind of fun because it has all these flashbacks to events in the original series. So you have this super modern CGI style animation for Super. And they have these flashbacks and you see the hand-drawn version of uh, Dragon Ball. So it's a little bit jarring in places. But it's just really still a really super fun show. And it's kind of funny the fact that when you talk about Dragon Ball or anyone shares imagery of Dragon Ball, it's always like burly guys screaming at each other. But the show is actually really funny as well. And... Because of uh, scratching off the first 15 episodes, I went back and watched the first, the series, the first movie of this uh, super um, incarnation, which uh, acted as that bridge between the end of Dragon Ball Z and the start of uh, Dragon Ball Super. Um, and that's Dragon Ball Z, A Battle of Gods, which uh, basically is just the first 15 episodes and uh, given... A nice glossy animated treatment but again that if you're not wanting to sort of trek through all 15 episodes of, of uh, Dragon Ball Super you can just watch that instead and just enjoy having just a really fun action fighty anime that's also super funny at the same time as uh, Goku, Goku and his uh, pals take on Beerus who's the god of destruction um, and in this uh, sort of world he comes to Earth and Basically, uh, Vija, uh, Vita, who is uh, sort of like the hot-headed fighter of the group, um, is sort of tasked with keeping Burris happy at this uh, birthday party's gate crashed. Otherwise, because if he becomes unhappy, he'll destroy the Earth. So it's kind of like bringing an atom bomb to your to your friend's birthday party. We're giving it a really fun uh, angle. So. Yeah, the series I am watching though at the moment is one I think you'd like, Stephen. Um, and that's uh, Food Wars, which you can also find the first season of on Netflix. I don't know if you've stumbled across it yet, Stephen. I haven't, but keep going. Okay. Well, <laughs> you have, you, it sounds it sounds like the sort of thing I might like. So okay. yeah, keep going. <laughs> well, you know, you like got a cookery. Mm-hmm. Imagine that as an anime. Yeah, that's what I was hoping. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, the series basically it. Um, sees this uh, young, you know, um, hotshot chef called Soma enrolling in a cooking academy and basically fighting his way to uh, graduation. Over the course of the series, they have what's called food wars, where two chefs will battle each other in very sort of extravagant sort of cooking style contests. Uh, all the recipes apparently are 
actual recipes and it uses actual cook, real cooking theory throughout the series or so I'm told um, although this is sort of like the real sort of fancy sort of cooking that we see in like um, eat drink man woman and um, and throughout obviously we've um, got a cookery it's sort of like more fancy than you know when we try to cook but uh, the fun thing about it the series is that it when these dishes are served, the people having them suffer these intense like food gasms that take on these fantasy jaunts that we obviously saw in like Got a Cookery, and we saw it to a much cleaner extent in uh, Ratatouille. And um, yeah, that's the only problem with the show is that uh, because of these orgasmic moments of food delight these characters suffer, it's uh, one you feel a little bit uh, sleazy watching at times, and makes it a little harder to watch when you know other people are around, but. Other than that, it's a really fun series, and uh, currently you can only get the first season on Netflix, but uh, there is four seasons at the moment, uh, with the fifth one uh, due out. Um, currently it's been delayed due to the COVID uh, pandemic, so that's had a knock-on effect on the release of that, but um, certainly a series well worth getting into. It's really light and um, has none of the usual sort of anime pitfalls that uh, a lot of people sort of struggle with even if it is a little on the uh, sort of pervy side with those foodgasms. I'm sure I've seen people on this age on the YouTube who have been um, who have been trying to recreate some of the meals. Um, oh yeah, there's a couple of sites that have been trying to yeah. like, re uh, recreate the, some of the key dishes from the series. So yeah, obviously without the foodgasms, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... if it, it does, it does sound kind of interesting. And I, 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 you know, back back from what was that show they had, Iron Chef. Okay. Uh, I, I used to love Iron Chef, which was kind of like a live action version of that. Which obviously, you know, we talked about God of Cookery before yeah. was, was 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 feeding on that. But I think God of Cookery is also feeding on. The, you know, this isn't the first manga anime sort of that that, that concentrates on food and crazy food. Um, and 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 you know that link between potentially sort of food and let's let's say sex. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of interested. You may have. Um, you may have inspired me to at least have a have have a start at it, and see if I can I can handle it. If I uh, you know if I don't get oversaturated with sugar or something and go crazy, my <laughs> brain blow up because that's what anime tends to do to me. It's, it's too I mean, you much. still watch Cowboy Bebop. I mean, I know, I know, I feel terrible. The, the the tragedy is, and and I use tragedy sort of kind of blasé, but in in the world at the moment. <laughs> It's not as if I haven't got time to do stuff, you know, and I've gone all out in trying to fill my time with other things, other hobbies that yeah. actually watching, watching, I've, I've tried very hard not to have watching TV or watching Netflix or watching YouTube become something I do every night after I finish work. Okay. Um, because, you know, I, I, I live on my own, so... Um, it's very easy to go down rabbit holes so i've kind of sort of structured my day obviously there's, there's work sort of the nine to six or, or later of work but then you know one night i'll play games one night i'll watch a movie one night i'll i'll, I'll watch youtube but one night i'll repair an old 90s computer but i i try not to make my weeks get sort of tied up with um with being too much into one thing you know um because i know if i really got into it mate I'd watch all 270 odd episodes of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's just, just the irony is I've got so much time on my hands at the moment. Yeah. But I'm not, 
I don't feel I'm making the best use of it. <laughs> well, I mean, we say obviously with Dragon Balls like up in the 200 plus range, and we look at One Piece, and that's up in the 500 plus range. Oh, amazing. So yeah. these shows really. It's, sometimes you think, oh, I should have really got on the bandwagon with these shows when they came out. But again, with the distribution over here, it's like when Dragon Ball came out, it was at a time when I had four channels and none of them were showing anime, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so I didn't, never had it until growing up. Yeah, and as we've spoken before, you know, we've had the rise of sort of those websites like Crunchyroll and stuff where, where people have... You know, people who are really interested in it have, have been able to get their fix. But the fact it's now on Netflix, um, I'm sure there must be some stuff on Amazon. I'm sure, and I'm yeah. sure the anime style obviously has has um, also, or the sorry, the manga style really more than the anime style. But you know, that, that, those, those Japanese stylings have invaded themselves, of course, also into other American um, sort of animations. Um, you know, even the um, uh, the 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 Into the Spider Verse movie that came out a couple of years ago now was it last year? Um, it was very influenced stylistically by by manga. You know, very obviously in the Spider Ham sections, but um, just just the whole thing was was very influenced by by Japanese animation and Japanese art style. So it's it's the it it's definitely cracked it, hasn't it? You know, we talk about a lot of films, but yeah. If we did a if we did a podcast concentrating on anime. on serialized anime, yeah, I mean I think I think it would be far less strange to people than it would have been maybe when you started watching it. Definitely so. I think I mean when I started getting into anime it was back in the days the good old days of uh, of sort of like the early nineties anime scene. So it was all through like manga entertainment who sort of specialized in just ultra violent and demon anime and cyberpunk and just the more sort of action heavy stuff and whereas now we've got such a range of anime it's a whole it's not just um to the action and horror animes anymore it's just there's animes of all sorts and it's great the fact that netflix and amazon have have dedicated parts of their platform to it and even in the case of netflix i mean they've obviously commissioned animes as well we've got obviously with like japan sinking into the sea we saw with devil my crybaby uh the godzilla anime trilogy which was interesting um so the fact that they're obviously picking up titles i wish they, they were a little more so on the ball like they've got the first season of attack on titan but there's been like another two seasons and they've seemed to made like no hurry to bring those across so it's a little frustrating but i suppose it gives you a um a taste and you can obviously go off and look at something like Crunchyroll Funimation if you wanted to sort of continue these things um obviously and it's funny you obviously mentioned the Iron Chef because obviously the Iron Chef has Mark uh um De Cascos as the Iron Chef indeed it does yes which I I mean I didn't know until like years after the after the facts I just knew him from like Crime Freeman and Drive and you know mm. his martial arts career um, and the fact he took over playing the crow in Crow Stairway to Heaven, uh, which was, was an interesting TV series to say the least, <laughs> kind of like the Goth Highway to Heaven, really. Um, yeah, but there, there, there were lots of shows like that at the time, right? <laughs> sort of trying to build on the nineties late night TV slot filler. Yeah, <laughs> those nineties films. It's um, 
they all needed a, a TV spin-off, and some were great, and some were dreadful. <laughs> I mean, and then you got Highlander, the TV series, which I still say that I still keep saying I'm going to finish one of these days, even though it's it constantly appears like on the horror channel. I just never seem to get into it. So yeah, there's that, and the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Is that what it's called? Yeah, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. One. You had the War of the Worlds TV spin-off. Yeah. Um, you had uh, Mortal Kombat Conquest, which did wonders for yeah. cleavage and a leather wardrobe. Yeah, it's all sort of these. Um, I guess they they were all sort of on the back of, sort of the channels like the Sci-Fi Channel and stuff like that. I guess that that needed their own programming and and to get a to get the sort of spin-off franchise from a film, well, not necessarily having a lot to do with it, <laughs> um, was was a thing. But yeah, we don't really have that anymore. Is it? They're all too glossy remakes, and they usually miss the point. So, I, d- I don't, I don't mind a show like that once in a while. Yeah, and uh, obviously Dukaskos went on to be in John Wick Three as a chef. Whereas here in Britain, we didn't really have the Iron Chef. We just had Ready Steady Cook, where housewives brought on random objects in their cupboard and chefs. Quarreled over how they were going to make a meal out of Rizzler papers and free peppers. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean Iron Chef. Iron Chef was on, but it was on like at like two in the morning or something like that. That's how I managed to watch it. I remember it being like having an early morning, having like a Channel Four block. Like I'm um, sure, I'm sure for the unemployed was... people at nine, at like nine o'clock and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. Um, there, there's, there's. Um... No, I'm thinking of Banzai and things like that. They were the terrible shows. They were from <laughs> earlier on in the in, in life, but it was it wasn't yeah you know, maybe ten years ago. I'm sure I I was able to watch Iron Chef on something like Channel Four, like you say, like the unemployed group, um, unemployed slot, or um, or maybe on Dave or, or whatever it was called then. You know, one of those sort of UK TV channels. I'm sure you could watch an Iron Chef marathon. I love. It. I just love the overblownness of it. I mean, at the end of the day. It was just some chefs making food, wasn't it? <laughs> True. Uh, now you mentioned Banzai, I really want to go back and watch that. Although, I think any sound clip we use of it would make us sound like the most horribly racist show in the world. But, it, uh, it, yeah, yeah Banzai it, it, with Lady it, it, One question. Yeah, it wouldn't. I don't think. I mean, <clears throat> it was coming from. Wasn't Burt Kwok something to do with that? I'm sure. He was the, the yeah, late, he was the Kwok. commentator. Mm. Um. And basically, I mean, the if you were unfamiliar with what Bansai was, basically it was like um, a... The idea was that you were following a gambling show where they would have different sort of outlandish bets and you would bet on the outcome with you and your buddies. And um, they had a numerous characters, like you had Lady One Question, who would ask one question and then just stand there and wait. You had, they had a time of running to see how long it took for the celebrity to wander off. Uh, you had Mr. Shaky Hand, who just basically... It was the same principle, but he just shook celebrities' hands for as long as possible. And they had really outlandish sort of betting things, like you had two car thieves and you had to see bet which one would steal the car first or how far they could launch a shopping trolley over cakes. It, it was a really bizarre 90s format, but just strangely entertaining at the same time. It was. I mean, we had a... I, I guess they all came from there were sort of two things oh my gosh we're, we're really going off track here but hey ho it's one of those episodes i guess obviously we had chris tarrant bringing the tv show endurance to our um 
to our screens. This may even predate you, sir. But uh, Chris Tarrant used to have a who's a sort of a, was a very famous DJ. I don't know who that. Chris Tarrant is. No, I'm not you. Not. I'm thinking of some of our oh, audience. About but yes, yes, because um, you know, people, people outside of the UK, Chris Tarrant, I guess, was was a DJ and also famous for being our host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. He had a Sunday night TV show where basically <laughs> they they looked at clips of TV from either the past or around the world, and and he brought to our um, attention a, a Japanese game show called Endurance, which um, was basically a bunch of Japanese housewives and. And salary men being put through hideous, um, <laughs> hideous tasks in in a game show format, and then we had something called Euro Trash, where a overly French man and Jean Paul Gaultier used to look for weird people and weird TV and and weird weird clips from around the world, um, looking maybe affectionately but also xenophobically at our neighbours and those sort of that that kind of interest that kind of British interest in the other in the look at the wacky world of the Japanese or the Europeans led us to Banzai I think (laughs) Um, which which sort of was trying to ape that crazy um, Japanese game show thing Um, and of course we had um, Ninja Warrior and Takashi's Castle of course bringing it back to us although I was watching someone the other day and it turns out Takashi's Castle actually ended in the 90s and we've just been watching repeats for the last 20 years and no and no young people in Japan have any idea what Takeshi's Castle is because it was like a it was a show that was on for like two years or something back in the 90s yeah it was um, run from 86 to 1990 yeah and um, was created by the you know the legendary beat Takeshi Katano yeah but you know, we, we we keep getting it now. I think they re-recorded all the. Um, we're just getting them re-shown with with different. They got rid well, of Craig Charles, didn't they? And and re-recorded them with other people. <laughs> we've got the. They basically they've because it got franchised out to different countries like yeah. Indonesia, um, and the Philippines. So basically, what they've done now that now they've run out the Japanese ones to show. They just basically show any other Asian country of it because i think they assume that uh here in the here in the britain that we that we don't can't really tell the difference between different asian countries and it's just all the same just like people with a willingness to maim themselves for our entertainment so yes i think you're right i think the one i saw was either in thailand or indonesia the last one i saw but i used used to love ninja warrior that used to be my favorite show and then unfortunately Stuart hall got you treed and um that's never been on again (laughs) Yeah, I know it's it's. You see, I only I, the Stuart Hall ones were like the good ones. Now it's just so invasive the commentary mm. um, that I, it was very hard to um, hard to to get into it. But I guess you know, bringing this back to um, to something on the radio in Britain, Japanese TV, Asian TV, Asian films were very much comical things. I mean, I think I think there was a I think there was, it was it was oh, it was almost a, a colonial oh, look at these crazy little Japanese people sort of thing going on. I don't <laughs> I think, think yeah, it was, it was I don't think it was xenophobic in 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 the worst sense, but it was xenophobic in the sense it was a very specific sort of sort of shows that were were being bought over and you know I absolutely blame Chris Tarrant for this and, and endurance um and that's why that's why looking at my Netflix you know what what's trending this week um you will see the odd um uh, 
Korean drama or, or Japanese anime series um, suddenly appear and you just think, yeah, the, world, the world's come a long way than watching somebody with um, some eels down their plastic underpants. It's not the worst show that they um, highlighted from Japan, that's for sure. Why well, <laughs> I still remember. I still remember that uh, episode where they showed uh, Miniskirt Patrol being passed around on <laughs> rather faded VHS cassettes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, um, I remember that one because they had the they had the salary moment who for some reason were given white underwear with the task of getting them as dirty as possible, and that one of the guy tried to wipe his backside on an exhaust pipe only to burn it. And then have to sit in the middle of a street where some guy, guy probably from production, hosed him down. I was, I was, I always wonder what it would actually be like to watch TV in Japan because I'm sure most of the TV isn't like that. <laughs> I just, I just, I just wonder if we are watching really quite obscure stuff, you know, like. You know, if somebody somebody watched British TV in the nineties, I promise you, it wasn't all like the word. <laughs> <laughs> but but you would think very differently if that's all you ever watched. I don't know. We'll have to go to Japan, mate. Well, that's what we do. We said we go fund me to get our broke asses over to Japan, and we will get a report back for you folks. Yeah. All right. So you know. Go to me slash Asian Cinema Film Club. <laughs> Send Elwood and Stephen to Japan. <laughs> I know that at the moment we're all raising money for very worthy courses, but if you can spare some extra funds to send send uh, your broadcast host over to Japan, we'd much appreciate it. Yeah. And on other things that aren't going to happen ever. <laughs> <laughs> Although um, what I will say is it's funny you talked about One Punch Man because a colleague of mine that I work with actually, um, he was mm. waxing lyrical about that about a couple of years ago and he was very taken by it and I, I, I kind of assumed it was some kind of sort of sort of one-upmanship on, on, on the overpowered Dragon Ball Z and I think what you described it probably is. <laughs> yeah, at the moment it's sort of a battle between um, the opening theme of One Punch Man uh, man and Dragon Ball Z for which theme tune I play the most at the moment it's uh, they're like the only shows where I just like because most anime shows you get bored of listening to the theme music after the first couple of runs around but both those shows I've, I'm yet to get bored of of uh, hearing you for theme tune One Punch Man in particular just the opening of One Punch um, it's, I just kind of need as my um, my alarm theme so when I have to get up and, and be inspired to go and work out and do my PE with Joe so I don't gain the lockdown uh, stone that everyone else is, has been sort of working towards. So. Lockdown stone, lockdown yeah. two stone, yeah. It's like the freshman free, isn't it? Yeah. I'd have, um, you'll be glad to know, I've cut my hair and shaved my beard off, though. So since we last spoke, I was looking like Team Wolf's dad or Cousin It from the Adams family. And, and it just got too much. So I've gone back to my uh, military-grade haircut and uh, close-shaven face. But the, the but the the stone I had lost since Christmas yeah. has returned with with some friends. <laughs> of course, this all works well on an audio podcast, doesn't it? Yeah, so. well, I, know, I like I like the air of mystery. They can they can imagine me now, like um, oh, what's the fella that did that website? Um, <laughs> You're aerodynamic now. I'm cuddly. That's what I like to say. Anyway, oh, let's yeah, move on. For... The, the, the shaved head and stuff. I, was, I forgot about the rest of what's heading on down south. But... Below the throat. <laughs> <laughs>
Cinema Recall Podcast here at ThatMomentIn.com. I am your host, Laverne, and on each episode, myself, along with a guest, we'll be talking about an iconic scene from a classic movie. Which films will we be discussing? Well, that's all up to you, because before each episode airs, we're going to be giving you a poll of great flits to choose from. Whichever one gets the most votes, that's the one we'll be talking about. So... Listen to the Cinema Recall Podcast on the site ThatMomentIn.com or on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Podomatic, or SoundCloud. Thank you very much, and hope you enjoy it. So it's time for our feature presentation, and tonight we are, of course, looking at our first Johnny Toe film of uh, the show's run as we look at 2005's Election. So, Election, as we've mentioned already, is directed by Johnny Toe, um, an absolute legend of uh, Hong Kong cinema, would you say? I think he's one of the legends of Hong Kong cinema. And um, along with his... Um, obviously, he, he, he's not just a director, but he's also a producer. His Milky Way productions yep. have, have, um, have, have oft filled the Hong Kong cinema scene. And what's interesting about Johnny Toe is um, even, you know, he, he even in the modern age where a lot of the Hong Kong talent has had to go off to mainland China or to Taiwan to continue working. He's very much stayed and he's very much a, a, a part of the um, Hong Kong um, cinema scene firmament, isn't he? And what I always found fascinating about him is that he almost alternates. He's got this this huge catalogue of gangster triad films, um, some of which I'm sure you, you're, you're very fond of, like Full Time Killer and things like that. And then he also does these incredibly popular romantic comedies like Don't Go Breaking My Heart or My Left Eye Sees Ghosts. And it's almost as if the sort of the commercial films are funding that 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 the, the the crime films. It's like what if Martin Scorsese um made rom coms? <laughs> it's, it's a it, similar sort of working uh, ethic that uh, Clint Eastwood employs. The one for me, one for them. It is. Um, it is approach, very much really. like that. Yeah, but he's you know with his herringbone suit and his uh, suit and his and his big cigar. You know he he looks <laughs> every part the film director or the film producer, and he's um he's really popular. And of course, when we were you were you were sort of talking about the show in our Facebook group. Um, was it Sherlock? Um, Sherlock Alexi um, was quite upset that we'd only picked one Johnny Toe film in our in our hundred. And I thought, you know what? It's about time we brought one to the show. <laughs> and even if this wasn't the film we were going to talk about this week, um, it was a film that actually was on my cinema shame pile. So um, I'm really happy to have brought it to the show and got finally got round to watching it. 
Okay. Yeah, so Colossi uh, certainly made uh, this week's um, further viewing a whole lot easier by ha- by handpicking us um, a, a selection of Johnny Toe movies to to check out, which we we'll obviously uh, get to a bit later. So thank you very much for that. Uh, but yeah, if you're unfamiliar with Johnny Toe, I mean, he began his career at 17 as a message of the Hong Kong television show TVP, and from there he basically just moved up it moved up the ladder um, with his first sort of uh, work being mainly in television. He directed and wrote the critically acclaimed legend of the Condor Heroes. And it's also during this um, this sort of time that he worked as an assistant TV director for the Shaw Brothers Studios, um, where he directed All About Ah Long in 1989 with Chow Yun-Fat, which were going to become one of the biggest box office hits of the year. Um, in 88, he also co-directed The Big Heat, his first action movie, which was produced by um, Sue Hawk. And um, this was also going to become one of his biggest commercial successes. Um, with 96, he founded, as you mentioned already, he formed, founded Milky Way Image, which was a production house that he formed with his collaborator, Wong K. Fei, uh, with the idea being that they were going to specialise in like cost-efficient independent films and really try and break away from the sort of traditions and style of what had been sort of seen as being like the Hong Kong action cinema sort of style. And throughout his sort of films, he's really sort of developed uh, many sort of trademarks that we've come to expect from him, such as the fact that he's one of these directors who works with uh, the similar sort of troupe of actors. And we've seen this many with like the Americans as a move like the likes of the Coen brothers and Wes Anderson, who will have these same actors appear over and over again in their films, just playing different characters. And the same can be said with when it comes to Johnny Toe's movies, the fact we'll see the same actors constantly um, turn up in his films. Simon Yam in particular um, is in quite a lot of them. And he's in this one. He was in obviously full-time killer, which I've, talked about numerous times on the show already and I'm a big fan of um, in his films as well he's also sort of very noteworthy for the heroic bloodshed um, as we will certainly get into with this film which is probably lighter when you compare it to the likes you know Heroes Never Die and obviously Full Time Killer it's a little lighter on that front but there's certainly some memorable uh, sequences in there as well and we also have moments of surprise. The films, are, while they're obviously following many of the sort of traditional action movie tropes, you often have these really sort of surprising moments, uh, often comedic, that would just pop up in his films. And I think without to sort of get into them, that you would and start highlighting them, you would really best sort of like coming to them on a film by film sort of basis because a lot of them. Sound, don't sound particularly interesting when you explain them out of context um, as they're very much sort of ingrained in the scene rather than just like put in there just for the comedic effect but I mean have you seen a lot of Johnny Toad's films or is this sort of like your first sort of introductions to him do you know it's it's really funny because um, you know obviously both of you and I have spoken to many people sort of in or around sort of British fans of, of Asian cinema and, and Johnny Toad always gets bought up and um, it's sometimes difficult because he's also the producer sometimes and things like that. I- I've watched a ton of his films, but what I would say is I probably haven't watched many in the in, in the, of his gangster films. Yeah. Um, you know, a huge fan of obviously um, 
the Stephen Chow movie he directed, Justice My Foot. I must have talked about that several times, the one with Anita Mui. Um, I know the Moment of Romance films with uh, Andy Lau. I know um, pretty much all his... Um, rom-coms as bizarrely <laughs> um and, and a big fan of that i mean my left eye sees ghosts is, is one of my favorite films ever and, and probably a film i'll come back to here but i don't um turn left turn right another one which i must have mentioned several times before um and 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 of course and one i'll talk about at the, at the very end is throwdown which is one of the finest hong kong films of all time although it, it's it's not it's not a gangster film um so it's kind of weird when most people I think talk about Johnny Toe, they're talking about films like I don't know, like PTU and yeah, and um, uh, what's the film Eye in the Sky and things like that, um, which which are very much you know sort of police thrillers or, or, or gangster films, and uh, it's just not what I've watched of his. Yet I still feel like I've watched ten, fifteen of his movies. Um, He's it, been doing a different track with him. Yeah, it's kind of in. Uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Oh, Sparrow, that's another one I love. Um, yeah, well, sure, we're going to. Talk, I'm sure further viewing is going to be a long one today. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I've just gone down a different track with him, which is why I was, I was, I've had, I've had this film and the sequel on DVD for a long time and never ever got around to watching it. So this is like a cinema shame for me, and I was really excited to sort of watch something which i i know is really well regarded but that doesn't necessarily as as you and i've discovered before that doesn't necessarily equate to quality yeah i mean certainly he's probably best known for his obviously his action and his crime movies and quentin tarantino's a huge fan he's often said that if he sees a film that's been directed by either johnny toe or brian trenchard smith that he hasn't seen they will instantly set out to watch it so he's in very good company because Brian Trenchard Smith's awesome as well, but obviously he's not an exploitation director. But yeah, this film, if uh, you're obviously not familiar with it, it's uh, the first of a, a trilogy. Uh, the latest one is uh, due out out uh, soon, but the film stars uh, Simon Yam and Tony Lankau Fairway as two gang leaders who are basically engaged in a power struggle to become the new leader of the Hong Kong triads gang that they belong to. Uh, the film opening with the two-year term expires and all the elders of the Wu Ling Sheng are in the process of electing the new chairman. And the two front runners are Locke, played by Samin Yam and Big D, um, who's obviously played by uh, Tony Lankau Fa Wei. And the two were very sort of polar opposites to each other. I mean, Locke is very calm, he's patient and even tempered. And Big D is sort of very boisterous, he's very quick quick tempered and often quick to violence. And both have got their sort of supporters within the with the elders as they've both been seen as doing deeds for them both and helping them sort of promote their businesses and thrown into this mix we've got the the head of uh, the police who's basically trying to stop the whole process descending into a gang warfare which basically it's currently heading to as neither side can really sort of decide which of these two contenders is rightfully going to take on the mantle of chairman um and so begins the battle between both sides uh, as to who will ultimately lead this, lead them into the new term. Um, 
Now, Stephen, I mean, how did you find this one? Because while it is obviously a triad movie, it's not... It doesn't follow sort of like the usual sort of uh, heavy bloodshed and violence that we've come to sort of expect from the genre, much like the Yakuza movies. It's um, a little more restrained, a little more political, would you say? I think the first thing I would say is there's no guns in it at all, (laughs) which for this kind of film, sort of Hong Kong, you know, police or, 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 or gangster thriller, I think is got to be fairly unique. Um, I, <clears throat> which is probably actually a lot more realistic. <laughs> you know, people don't tend to have guns in Hong Kong. It's not a big enough place to um to shoot. Really, you'd kill about fifteen people if you shot once. Um, so that that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it it it's trying to be almost more of a political intrigue. Um, so there's no there's no guns being even even you know shot at each other or held at jaunty angles or anything like that. It also is at pains to. It doesn't. It's not. It, it's sort of explicit, but it. The, the, the triads have a interesting history, although we know them now as as crime families, I guess, akin to the mafia and 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 like you say to the yakuza. Um, the triads' history is something more akin to a secret society, um, and these uh, a, a group of people. Um, sometimes heroic that would fight against uh, China, you know, the oppressors of the Chinese, whether it be the British, whether it be a corrupt monarchy, um, whether it be the Japanese. So, 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 so there's a section sort of in the second half of the film where it all gets a bit um, uh, <laughs> a bit weird, really, doesn't it? There's these ceremonies going on. It's 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 kind of suggesting that there's some there's something more to it. It's more embedded in culture. It's it's more akin to the Masons than it is the Yakuza, which I, I thought was was kind of interesting. There are moments of violence in it. There are some devastating moments of violence in it. Um, Nick Chung, for example, gets a uh, gets a machete to the arm, doesn't he? <laughs> and, um, yeah. And uh, and and some people the the bit that the, the scene which struck me most was those two fellows who get um, put into wooden boxes and kicked down the hill a couple of times just to teach them a lesson. Um, but it's a very different, a restra- almost a restrained violence. And there's a lot of talking heads, a lot of people talking to each other and, and politicking. And I guess the the fact it's called election um, certainly. It was called election, and the other and the sequel was called. Um, I think in America it was called Triad Election or something yeah. like that, Election Two. But you know that's that that's that's what it's interested in. It's interested in the the the, the people that are part of these, and yeah, and it, it really tries hard to sort of show that there's, there's some history here, and and there's and there's this honor amongst thieves and um oh what's this so big big tony's characters all brash isn't he and and sharp dresser and he's he's kind of indicative of of maybe the sort of the yakuza with their shiny suits and 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 sort of loud violent ways so maybe he's representing that or maybe he's representing sort of the mainland chinese and and you feel that um simon yam is this kind of sort of more well you feel he's this more measured um, character. He's got a young son, hasn't he? And he seems to be a single yeah. father. And he's the. F- and when people talk about him, oh, he helped us do this. He helped us do that. Or he's got tradition on his side, um, whereas the other guy's just just this rich gangster. 
um, and and there's obviously this 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 tension between the two sides, and you can take that further. There's a tension in Hong Kong at this time between the sort of the traditional Hong Kongers, even though they'd only existed for a hundred years, and that kind of brash, rich mainland Chinese person, this loud person, this person who dresses loudly and throws their money around that's what that's what big tony's character is um is he called big d i don't, I don't know what the d stands yeah, for he's, um, i, I can only imagine <laughs> yeah um you're totally right i mean Locke is obviously more the traditional um sort of triad member he's all about the you know the brotherhood and the traditions and at the same time he's a single father he's not about having getting causing like gang violence or even engaging in violence with our members at the same time i mean he's obviously his counterpart big d is is the more sort of flashy sort of example he's very boisterous he's very much um like we see with like the young uh, yakuza where they're sort of like throwing the money around they got the flash suits and they're sort of very quick to violence he's very much the same and while he does obviously respect the honours and traditions of the the triad that we see here and certainly one of the key elements of the film is the retrieval of the baton which will allow <coughs> Lop to be sworn in as the you know the head um, of this particular group and it, we also have at the same time uh, Big D threatening to go off and start his own a rival sort of faction which none of the sort of senior members uh, want because they just know it's going to descend into like this turf war which will be no use to anyone and there's a really great scene where one of the one of these elders um, whose name I can't remember but he's just sort of like this really big <laughs> big fat Yakuza um, triad so he's the guy that was um, he's the guy that had been the um had been the chairman some years before because you can only be chairman for two years apparently um and i so uh like like yeah. you i can't remember his name either <laughs> i want to say it's lam, lam suet because i'm sure that he's no um... no he's not lam suet is in it but very very briefly lam suet gets sent off to go and look for the baton oh um, that's right because i think he's the one who gets beaten over the head with a log yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm just trying to... I think it's Wong Tin Lam, I think. Big guy. I'm pretty certain he's he's Uncle Teng. Because he's he's the one who tries to broker a peace between the two as well. In in the police station, doesn't he? That's right. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. Obviously, the, the, right from the start, the police obviously turn up and they arrest all the senior uncles. And they're basically trying to maintain a peace because they know that an election is going to take place and it's kind of interesting the relationship we see here between the triads and the police and the fact that they have this uneasy sort of symbiotic relationship where the police know that the triads keep themselves in check and that if they there's too many members for them basically to arrest them all um as one of as um i'm trying to think who as uh uncle tang points out there's like over 3,000 members and it's going to be more dangerous if they lock them all up in prison than if they let them sort of govern themselves so we've obviously got um, Chief Superintendent who is basically sort of forced into brokering this this deal with them where they're allowed to sort of govern themselves and he sort of like makes sure that they don't sort of erupt into this sort of turf war that it's essentially heading towards because they can't decide whether Locke or Big D should be chairman. I mean, obviously Big D doesn't take the fact he 
he fails to become chairman uh, very well because, as you mentioned already, he puts the two people who voted against him into boxes and rolls them down a hill um, in one of the more memorable moments. And I think this is the great thing about this film. It's not... It has these sort of bursts of violence within it. We've got that. We've got the scene of um, Big Head um, being beaten over the head with a log. And um, we have a very memorable ending as well where... Um, where a certain character shows their true colours, not to spoil anything. So, well, I think I've... I think we'll I think we're going to have to spoil it because, <laughs> yeah, the um, what we have been thinking about certain characters changes, does it not? <laughs> Whereas, um, and 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 I I spent quite a long the reason I'd like to talk about it is I sort of spent quite a long time thinking about it after watching the film. Like, what does that mean? You know, sometimes you, you, you watch a film and you have to go and look it up and say, what did the ending of that film mean? And oh, I, was really? sort of have, I was having this kind of internal monologue with myself. Was it was it this character kills the other character because despite the peace they'd brokered, the other character just didn't get it? He still didn't get it after all this time about the tradition, about, about the way it works. Or was it because power corrupts or was it because that character has been playing us for a fool the previous hour and a half i think <laughs> it's probably the latter <laughs> um and but it was that 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 that's really quite shocking that um that final moment that final sequence because you've had this you know you've had there's been a lot of talk there's been some violence, some shocking violence, but you think everyone's reached some kind of conclusion and the film could have ended 10 minutes earlier. And that last 10 minutes elevates the film for me to just to another level because it sort of says everything you've known is wrong. And it all it's makes a... sense. I can't wait to watch it again to see if there are clues. Well, I mean, it plays it very close to its, its chest. And I mean, I've seen it a couple of times. I saw it when it first came over to the UK, when it was through Optum release and it first came over to the UK. Uh, so I saw it when it was first came out on, had the DVD release. And it's an ending that sort of stuck with me. And even watching it now, I don't think that there's any way that it sets up or gives any hints away about the ending. So it could certainly be seen as um, this idea that power corrupts or that perhaps he, that, uh, that this person obviously sees sees um his you know his co-chairman as being a potential threat further down the line so as to eliminate any sort of challenge to his uh, status um and certainly it, it paves the way for the second film uh which which um essentially picks up the story at the end of Locke's term as chairman it, it's a very it's a very good ending, and I think it's it sort of like comes out of nowhere. Although I have to say, last night I wasn't when I was watching this last night. I wasn't in the best frame of mind, so it really kind of bummed me out the ending, to say the least. Um, and it certainly went on a lot longer than I remember it doing as well. It's really quite intense. It is. I also didn't realise that the woman was Big D's wife. She still comes out of nowhere, doesn't she? So you, yeah. you don't see well, her until her, like the end. Well, no, we've seen her. She's been in multiple scenes. As I just assumed she was his henchman. Oh, so yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then to find out that's his wife all along, I thought, well, 
did I miss something? Has something been lost? In, and there's quite possibly something's been lost in translation when he's been, you know, saying her name or something. He's probably been using the nickname for wife. But that was kind of weird. And, um, but yeah, God, you know, you said you said it wasn't very violent. And then the man gets his brains bashed in. <laughs> and a woman gets choked with a, a, um, a, a spade. But yeah. They're all about using wood in this... Uh this film for some reason it's if you've been bashed over the head with a log or locked in a wooden crate or that's very true i wonder if that means something i wonder if i wonder if we're both too stupid to understand that well if you were chinese you'd understand that wood means something and the fact that all these characters have been killed with wood means that uh yeah i don't know i would expect to my code because this thing um i know my co-host over movies and tea kim she's a big fan of this film when we were doing the deadpool draft you know discussing Mm. our favorite uh death scenes in movies over on uh my other other podcast uh the the, uh my bad direct strange showcase which she actually listed the the crate sequence is one of her favorites mm. so yeah i mean that's that scene like i say when i, I started watching it before i don't know why i didn't finish but that scene has when, when it came on you know when i was watching it for the show i thought that's this film <laughs> and and it's just it's just so i don't know how anyone survived it <laughs> but but you know, you know what i mean it just reminds me of i don't know there must there must be sort of american gangster films where similar things happen mm. You know, where, where there's a sort of a kind of really violent torture. Because they're not going to get anything out of this. They just want them to change their vote, right? Um, they're not, not really going to change very much. It's just, yeah. And I just don't see why that would make anybody want to vote for him in a democratic process. So again, it's... Is, is he having a go at, at, at other elections? I don't know. <laughs> He's basically... I mean, the whole, the whole reason that he does... Um, that he does that is just that basically wants to punish punish them for sort of going against him because in his mind he's helped these people as much as Locke has helped them. So the fact that they've gone against his generosity, so to speak, um, he doesn't take too kindly. Much like the fact that he hasn't got his own way, because as we see throughout the film, Big D really does love to get his own way. Um, he likes to see himself as the big I am, and. Because um, these 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 two people, uh, Uncle Cocky and Uncle Mock, were seen as being supporting of Locke, um, that's the reason he chose to 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 punish them for sort of going against him. Um, but when we were, I mean, there's another scene I also want to talk about here, and that's uh, could be seen as like the surprising moment um, represented the surprising moment here, where the son of one of the these triad leaders gets um, killed by a, a sudden truck that comes out of nowhere. Yeah, there is. <laughs> it's a really but, random scene, and I, I don't know what it's supposed to add to the film exactly, so, but um, so, I don't know what you thought of it. I'm trying to think, which is that? That's not when... Um, are there two people get killed by trucks? There's a police officer who gets run over by... Um, a truck because he runs him over and then he phones his boss to apologize for running over a policeman because like like with the mafia if you kill a cop it's bad for business mm. but chairman whistle gets run out do you remember when the police arrest big d and whistle at yeah. the at the restaurant outside and then whistle runs away so this is the this is like the incumbent leader isn't it whistle yes and he runs away he gets knocked over by a truck as well 
And now you're getting me thinking. It's whistle, yeah, it's whistle son because he 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 pulls the tubes out. Yeah, he struggles to to deal with uh, the death of his his son. Yes, but death by death by truck is also a, <laughs> a, 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 a used more than once in this film. <laughs> I think it's more the fact that we have a truck. <laughs> we we got people. We a way to run people over with it. Yeah. Rather than you know, setting, <laughs> like getting another vehicle here. So is it, is it is it like Johnny Johnny's Johnny Toe goes? Yeah, look, we've got a truck. We're going to use it, <laughs> and we've got stuntmen who know how to roll with it well with a hit. Well, yeah, yeah it, it, the word stuntman in the Hong Kong film industry. I mean, it's we know somebody really will, who'll take a few dollars and get hit by it. <laughs> it's it's a different for as uh, Harrison Ford calls it. It's physical acting. Dishonor. Mm. It's just um, in Hong Kong, it's physical acting just without any health and safety. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yes. But it's worse if you go to like the Philippines and you look at like Filipino genre movies and it's sort of like it's John Lansford marked in uh, Machete Maidens Unleashed. It's like the Philippines where life is cheap and you see like the stunt work in there and it's like there's no crash mats or even stuntmen at all. It's just people falling and being blown up every five seconds. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you, the other thing about this film is was it made? Election two was pretty much a lock-in, right? The the this these on the election two isn't really a sequel. It's a film that was always going to be made because of the time we spend with Lewis Ku's character Jimmy, who doesn't really do a lot in this film, but I know is the main character in the sequel. So I'm I'm assuming you know like like a bit like the Infernal Affairs films that the second film was was always going to be made. I don't, maybe you don't know, but <laughs> I, I'm I'm not too too sure to be honest. I mean, yeah. it certainly was was wildly received by critics. They absolutely really really thought it was fantastic. Uh, even though for myself, I didn't like it as much as the first film. Mm. Um, I mean, it was released a year after Election, but again. That doesn't the mean speed any, that the Hong that Kong, mean anything in Hong film Kong industry film. moves, it's, no, it's not that, uncommon for a film to come out the year after. Just that Louis Koo, I mean, he is one of one of Johnny Toe's sort of ensemble, along with sort of uh, Suet Lam and, and Simon Yam. Yeah. But he, he's... This, when's this again? 2005? You know, this is 2005. He's, um, Koo, Koo is one of the biggest stars in... Um, he is one of the biggest stars in in Hong Kong, full stop. Um, and to have him in this film in such a minor role makes me wonder that if the second election film was not made, you know, it, it was it was going to be made whatever happened because then he sort of he's, he's the star of the second film. Yeah, it's very very. The Hong Kong cinema always confuses me like this because. At least the sequel's got something to do with it, right? Because <laughs> how many sequels have we seen that have a nothing but a tangential approach to the uh, to the original film? But yes, I just I think I think they I think they are bookends to the same story. I was watching a um, interview with Johnny Toe just before he recorded, and um, I think that's what he was sort of saying. He was he, it was like a presser for for election that they just recorded and he basically said yeah but the next film you'll see that x happens and i just wondered how um 
how definite that second film was going to happen. When I think I'm talking myself into the fact it was yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then obviously we got Election Three, which I don't believe has come out yet. So I didn't know there was an Election Three. So that's a that's a fifteen years later kind of thing, right? That's right. Um, I'm just having a look now. Plus and done. Oh, that's real helpful in IMDb. Um, the only thing I can find is some guy called Your Mama Free who responds with, What? <laughs> oh man, I had no idea this was happening. Can't come soon enough. Well, that's also real insightful, guys. Yeah, okay, yeah, so he, he is. I mean, he's, 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 he's been known for a sequel. Drug War had a sequel, didn't it? Um, so it's not... I think they're just trying to find out if Lewis Koo wants to come back. All depends if he can find a sunbed, I assume. Because Louis does like Louis does like his tan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, interesting. But um, yeah. So at the moment, it's uh, shown to be in development. There is no um, details on that as we speak. So um, one to watch out for. But uh, yeah, there is a sequel, um, Election 2, or Triad Election, if you're in the States, uh, which um, basically continues the story and picks up where this film ends. Um, but anything else you want to discuss about no, this No, I don't think so. It was, just, it, was, it was a bit of a treat. It's just, it's just you know, you, you and I have watched a lot of, of gangster films, um, both both sort of Japanese yakuza and sort of John John Woo films, and sort of those stylish, a bittersweet life, I suppose, as a gangster film, and and they're all very stylish, and the heroic bloodshed side of things, and fancy gunplay, and and and, and also heroism. Where this this film is basically bunch of middle-aged men mostly <laughs> talking at tables um and punctuated by acts of obscene violence it's um it's very different whilst feeling very familiar does that make sense and you know you sam yeah you know all these it looks like hong kong it is hong kong you know so i i've been to some of those streets i recognize some of the places which i found interesting and but it wasn't Lots of young, handsome people shooting guns at jaunty angles at each other. Um, there was very little crime on display, period, other than the crimes being committed within the triad itself. I don't remember much going on. Oh, there was that weird what bit with the prostitute jumping up and down. I'd forgotten oh, about yeah, that. Cause, What's yeah, that about? Um, <laughs> Yeah, basically, um, he Big D runs a prostitution racket, and he's sort of noted for having high quality girls. And um, I think what by having this model esque hooker like come in and have a jump up and down is to show that she has um, whether her attributes are natural or not. Should we say? Right. Yes, makes sense. Um, that's what the. <laughs> He's what I assumed it is, unless no, I think, Johnny I, Joe was like, oh, we can just totally work this in. But that was really weird. And there are little bits of comedy throughout it as well. There was... <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> the guy that's stuck in the post box. <laughs> it spins around on the floor. So, yeah. Yeah, let's, 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 let's go wrong. There's a lot of talking. 
punctuated by lots of violence with some really weird comedy as well. And actually, you know, some of the film, some of the films I might talk about in, um, or some of the films we might talk about in further watching, they, they are probably Johnny Toe characteristics. But yes, I, I just thought it was a really good film, really interesting. Maybe not what I expected. I think I expected something a little more traditional in that sense, but there's there's so much to enjoy, and um, I'm looking forward to watching the second film. I'll have something to talk about next week, next episode. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I watch election two. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see what you make of it, um, mm. as it's. I didn't find the story as, as sort of engrossing as this one. I mean, this one obviously you've got the internal sort of politic, and you've got the sort of hunt for the baton, and you've got this sort of uh, shift, constantly shifting uh, power balance uh, between between the two that sort of rests on this bat on who has possession of the baton. So it would be it would be interesting to see what uh, what you make of it, especially considering how this film ends. Um, it will be, as I say, it's um, be extremely interesting to see how you sort of find the sort of character shift, and now we've seen the sort of like the true side of this character, how they, um, how their path sort of takes them. Yep, I'll report back in the next episode. So further viewing. Yeah. So uh, so Alexi. Um, Sherlock, Sherlock. I don't know which way round is your name, Sherlock. Sherlock Alexi. Alexi Sherlock Alexi, I believe it is. Yeah, what a cool name. Um, he he highlighted um, a couple of films I haven't seen. Well, I think I have seen Needing You actually. So Andy Lau and Sammy Cheng have made a ton of films together. Um, sort of romantic comedy films. Um, Sammy Cheng, I think she was a singer. Andy Lau, people will remember from films like Infernal Affairs and about a million others. So him and Louis Koo are, are pretty much the face, the male faces, the modern male faces of Hong Kong cinema. Um, so he, he mentioned that. He mentioned Exiled, which I don't know. Um, have you said Exiled? Exiled's um Exiled's one of those movies that's been on my sort of watch pile for for a while. I remember the cover especially because it's um got the guy with the really cool hair who I can't place at the moment um who it is but no I remember Exiled came out and it had a lot of sort of buzz uh when it when it came out because I mean this is obviously back in the boom of like Tartan and um Optimum releasing and they were sort of like battling out over who got got the sort of top uh, sort of titles like the host uh coming out so it was a really sort of sort of uh exciting sort of time to be into sort of like especially this sort of uh Asian cinema but uh that's got Anthony Wong, Francis Ning, uh, Nick Chung, Josie Ho, Roy Chung and Lam Suet. Okay, uh, quite a cast, including some familiar names from the Milky Way universe, I guess. So uh but no, Exile is one that I definitely wanted to bring to the table at some point um much like mad detective as well which mm. he uh made with one one cafe yeah that's another one that i keep saying that you know <laughs> we're going to look at it but it's just sort of like it's like everything it's um and like ptu it's sort of like finding the time because you have this list of uh, films that you want to cover and it's sort of like well we d- you try to mix it up so you don't just do the same. We come like the one of those podcasts where you just like cover nothing but like kung fu movies or heroic yeah. bloodshed movies. You try to to uh, mix it up and make it some more of a uh, genre stew here. 
Yeah. Now, Sherlock, the next film Sherlock talked about was a film I am definitely bringing to the party and a film I'm upset that I didn't put in my top 50 so far. Um, so in episode 75, I assume we'll do another 25 and this film will make it, which is Throwdown, um, which is, I mean, Sherlock called it um, an ode to Kurosawa. I'm not sure quite, but maybe I haven't thought about it enough um but it's a it's a film about um lewis ku's character is a is a is a judo champion who, who's given up for some reason um he's, he's a depressed alcoholic and um aaron kwok somebody who we haven't spoken about a lot at all actually who's one of the one of the big four names um sort of tries to tries to get him into a it, to get his fire and belly going again um turns out that uh, lewis ku's characters there's, there's something about him i don't want to ruin it for people it's it's a fantastic movie it's um it might be about uh, judo it might be based around men trying to fight each other but it's really something a way more heart- heartfelt and fantastical um really interesting really different movie and sort of it's it's definitely more in the in the romantic comedy well, it's not a romantic comedy it's a romantic movie but with 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 judo um it's a really hard one to <laughs> to, to pigeonhole um and like Sherlock said it, it's recently come out in the uk on uh blu-ray masters of cinema um print which is amazing because when i bought it i had to hunt it down at some obscure Taiwanese website so it's amazing that it's available um yeah really really um I think he dedicated it to Akira Kurosawa but um and and that it's um uh, Kurosawa's first film Sanshiro Sugato is, is where he took his his influence so it's it's from that sort of early Kurosawa rather than the the one that we looked at um a couple of episodes ago but yes he, he looked at that um <coughs> have you seen Throwdown? No, I haven't. No, it's one and, of those bad things. And then Sherlock sort of then also mentioned election and election two, which obviously here we are. Mm. <laughs> See, we do um, listen. We do listen, and yeah. So thank you very much. Um, have you got any other movies you wanted to bring to the party? Because I've got a couple more um, Johnny Toe films I'd just like to talk about if we've got time. Um, yeah, I would recommend checking out the Heroic Trio, which I'm sure I mentioned before. I'm not sure we made made any of our made our top 100 list, but um, this is um, directed by Johnny Tell and uh, stars Michelle Yeoh, Maggie Chung, and Anita Mu as a trio of uh, heroines uh, taking on an evil sorcerer. Um, it's kind of it's really fun because each of these are playing sort of like different sort of um hero archetypes like anita muse plays this mask wearing sword slinging knife wearing crime fighter uh called wonder woman maggie chung plays the shotgun toting bounty hunter called thief catcher and michelle yo is the invisible woman um she doesn't get a cool nickname she's just the invisible woman so but um it's was followed up by uh sequel executions which kind of wrongly cut the whole what would have been a really awesome franchise uh, short uh, but uh, no the first story trio is really good and uh, Sparrows is another film that I saw through Mumbai which um, I enjoyed it's another uh, something yam movie and um, yeah I mean it's 
about uh, professional pickpockets. So, but it's a little more arty than um, his usual sort of fare, which it's is probably why it was on Mumbai. It, it's funny because Sparrow was one of the other films I was going to talk about. Um, yeah, Simon, it's probably one of the best Simon Yam films ever. He's, he's charming in it, and um, yeah, it, it's 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 not just arty; it's almost um, balletic in, mm. in its approach to um, to pickpocketing. And there's and there's and there's other other shit goes down. And in a similar vein, I was just going to talk about Eye in the Sky, um, another Simon Yam led film, and. Yeah, Simon Yam does does a lot of films, um, and sometimes he's a little criticised for his lack of acting talent, which I think is a bit unfair because I think um, certainly when he works with Toe, I think I don't think anyone will complain about him in tonight's film, for example, where he he shows a magnificent range from <laughs> from psychopath to, to to reasonable chap. But yes, um, Eye in the Sky um, based around basically a, a police unit who use modern surveillance skills. Um, really, really good. What I would say is though, there's a South Korean made uh, remake called Cold Eyes which is even better and I'm pretty certain Simon Yam turns up does turn up in that as a, as a small cameo but I, I could be wrong. But yes, um, Eye in the Sky, Sparrow, Throwdown. They're probably not the not the everyone's normal go tos, but I would. Um, it just shows the the, the talent of, of of Johnny Toe really that he he can operate in so many different genres. Fantastic. Um, well, thank you. As um, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Asian Cinema Fun Club. Thank you as always for listening. And uh, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button. Um, and uh, maybe leave us a review it all helps raise the profile of the show you can follow us as well we are on Instagram, we are also on Facebook and we are on Twitter and uh, our Facebook group in particular our Facebook page is a really fun hub uh, where we post uh, different like news stories, we post reviews and uh, other fun bits and pieces and it's a really fun community of uh, people that we've got on there just sharing ideas and giving us recommendations and we love to hear from you guys of films that you want to see and films that you think we should be looking at as it all helps us uh, really program this podcast to be as enjoyable for you guys as it is for us to make it so um and speaking of which, please do keep an eye out because we do have a very special project in the works, but uh, we will be announcing more details on that as it appears. Um, you can also catch up on our full archive of episodes on our blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. And uh, on there you can find Stephen's Dark Side of Asian Cinema, you've got the Anime Vault, the Movie Vault, uh, you've got David Brooks, was uh, recently posted his top 25 Asian cinema as well and uh, his uh, reviews on there as well which um, cover a huge gambit of films which made his 25 in particular really interesting to see what he comes up with because even though we sort of work with him we can never pin down exactly where his taste lies because it seems to be all over the map at times so it's very interesting to see what made his top picks list there um, but um Next uh, episode, it's my pick, I believe. It is, and I obviously have got the sort of reputation for you know picking perhaps slightly more lowbrow and uh, 
less thoughtful cinema and I don't think that's going to change with the next pick because we're going to be looking at the first film in the Female Prisoner Scorpion series as we check out Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion um, from 1972 um, starring uh, Miko Keji and uh, directed by Shunya Ito in his first film as a director before he would obviously go on to direct another two f further entries in the Female Prisoner uh, series. Uh, for long-time listeners of the show, you know that uh, this is a series which Stephen taught to me for many, many episodes over the fact that he picked up the box set of this and I unfortunately divvered and didn't get it until recently. So we're finally going to uh, crack open those box sets and dive into the first film of the series when we check out Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion on our next episode. I'm really excited about that. Like Have you, you seen I, this film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've got the box set, mate. But I'm. I um, watched it. I know. It could be like no, me no, no. I, I, I've got a huge hitting grin on my face because, yeah, it is a bit schlocky. But I, 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 you know, obviously I'm <laughs> a big fan of the lead actress. But yeah, I'm really happy that we're going to be talking about that. And ironically, um, obviously, this wasn't the film we necessarily were going to talk about in this episode. But um, so we had some technical issues, and when I was looking at what we could do instead um that was one of the films i was thinking about so you've um you've cleverly snuck one off my <laughs> own pile onto your own thereby um thereby leaving my uh, my, my pile one i've got i feel like i've had an extra choice an extra choice now yay <laughs> that's good um but yes our first film first uh, women in prison movie here on the podcast and uh definitely a film which has got a huge cult following as well as starring the legendary miko kaji who as we will obviously go into on our next episode is a woman with a very impressive film legacy to say the least but all that's uh, coming up in our next episode but uh as always thank you for listening thank you to my co-host steven it's a pleasure as always sir and uh, we will be back next time to talk about Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion. Until then, good night. Hey! 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 This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.